We live in a hurting world. We are hurt people and we inflict hurts on others. Hurting is a natural thing in our world, tragically. But forgiveness is supernatural. We're on a journey to it. And today, I want you to start by thinking about a difficult person in your life. Somebody who is just hard for you to like. Maybe they are cranky, maybe they're chronically negative, maybe they're draining. Maybe there's somebody that's bossy. Could be somebody in your family, could be somebody at work. I know you have one. Uh, if you don't have one, we keep a list here. If you come to you, write us and we'll assign one to you because it's real important to have some people like that in your life. Jesus said we're to love our enemies. And you probably are thinking, now I need to forgive this person. And maybe you do, but that's not the main thing that you need. I want to tell you a story from Lou Smead's book about forgiveness. He talks about how we can only forgive a little bit at a time. We can only forgive something that's quite concrete and quite specific. And we cannot make forgiveness do what another power is required for. So here's what Lou writes. Wholesale forgiving is too much for anybody. Not long ago, a man named Arthur Fram came to me seeking a way to forgive his daughter, Becky, a fragile 21-year-old who had been suffering a fairly serious depression for a couple of years. Becky stayed in bed till noon every morning. The rest of the day, she lay in the couch in front of the television set, watching soap operas and reruns of sitcoms, got up once in a while during commercials, but only to stuff herself with junk food. And there was more. Becky was surly and spiteful toward anybody close enough to join with her at the set. When Arthur offered to help her, or when he gingerly suggested she help herself, she snarled at him like a cornered leopard. If anybody tactfully suggested psychological therapy, she shrieked in defiance against a family that accused her of being crazy. In this way, Becky wrapped a thick blanket of rage and resentment around her and enveloped her whole family with it. She needed help, lots of it, and soon. But so did Arthur. He was ravaged by Becky's ferocious rejection of his long-suffering love because she spat poison at him as thanks for his fatherly care, he coiled a serpent of resentment around his fatherly heart. He felt cheated. He couldn't even the score. Why should he have a daughter who had come of age just in time to hate him with a vicious passion? Why should he have to explain to his successful friends who bragged about their successful kids why his daughter did nothing creative with her life? Why should his daughter play such a dirty trick on him? Whose fault was it? Arthur had a hunch that it was his. Somewhere, somehow, he must have failed to be the kind of father he should have been. But he suppressed his hunch. He would not accept the responsibility. I'll be damned if I'm going to bear the guilt, he growled to himself, and he growled it 30 times a day. But Barrett, he did. He was doubly angry at Becky for being the reason he had to feel such guilt when, in another part of his mind, he knew himself to be innocent. And then he heard me talk about forgiving as a road to healing. He wondered whether he might have stumbled onto a quick cure for his aching heart. He wanted to know how to forgive Becky. What do you want to forgive her for? I asked. Do you want to forgive her for suffering so much? Do you want to forgive her for hating herself? For condemning herself day and night because of the pain she knows she's causing you. Do you want to forgive her for being a person subject to depression? 
Must Becky be forgiven for letting you down by not being the classy young woman you need to impress your successful friends? Arthur was stunned. It was as though he had gone to the doctor for help and the doctor had assaulted him. And if you ever knew Lou Smeets, he was as gentle a person as I have ever known. I think there's more to this story than is just written on the page. I was on to him. I recognized too much of myself in Arthur to let him pull a fast one on me. Arthur was trying to use forgiveness as a quick and cheap nostrum for pains that forgiveness cannot cure. It cannot heal our narcissistic resentments toward people for not being all we expect them to be. Can I say that one one more time? Forgiveness cannot heal the narcissistic resentments that we feel towards people for not being all that we expect or want them to be. Forgiveness, nobody can really forgive people for being what they are. Forgiveness was not invented for such unfair maneuvering. Arthur might be able to forgive Becky for cursing him when he offered to take her to a therapist, probably forgive her for telling him she hated him at dinner the other night. In fact, he may have the power to forgive her for any of the specific things she did to make his life miserable, but he cannot forgive Becky for being a depressed person. We overload the circuits of forgiveness when we try to forgive people for being burdens to our existence or for not being the sort of person we want them to be, there are other means for coping with the threads of tragedy that are woven into the fabric of our lives. But I'm sure that I would not have helped Arthur at all if I'd encouraged him to think that he should or even could forgive his daughter for being the person she is, even though she has become the sad and needy center of his real, if self-centered, tragedy. I believe there is a natural law of forgiveness which requires a price from us when we try to forgive people for being what they are. Those who forgive people for being what they are only increase their own pain. Pain compounds itself when we indulge ourselves with grandiose forgiving. The reason is simple. When we try and fail as we're bound to forgive someone for being what he is, resentment is added to resentment. We blame him for our failure to forgive him as well as for wronging us. We end up feeling sorrier for ourselves than we did before and guiltier too. Because now, beside everything else, we're ashamed of ourselves for not being able to forgive. The long and the short of what I've been saying is, forgiving that heals focuses on what people do, not what people are. The healing art of forgiving has to be practiced a little at a time. For most people, anyway. Ordinary people forgive best if they go at it in bits and pieces and for specific acts. They bog down if they try to forgive people in the grand manner, because wholesale forgiving is almost always fake. Forgiving anything at all is a minor miracle. Forgiving carte blanche is silly. No one can do it except God. And the first rule for mere human beings in the forgiving game is to remember, we are not God. I am not God. You are not God. The people in your life are not God, and you cannot forgive them for that. We forgive people for what they do. We accept people for who they are. Now, there is a deep connection 
between the capacity to forgive and the capacity to accept, because both of them are rooted in love, this love that Jesus brought for us. We've talked about how Hannah Arndt said that Jesus of Nazareth was the discoverer of forgiveness in human affairs. He was also, I think, the discoverer of acceptance in human affairs. Miroslav Wolf, in his book, Exclusion and Embrace, talks about how it was the signature of Jesus to embrace people that others would exclude. He recognized the inverse that many religious leaders in his day thought that what pleased God the most was that they would exclude people who were unclean, not respectable, unacceptable. Jesus recognized that what delighted God was precisely to embrace such people. And so not only did he forgive sinners their sin, he also welcomed, he embraced, he accepted lepers and Samaritans and Roman centurions and people that were considered physically disabled. Now, you don't forgive somebody for being a Samaritan or a leper or a Roman centurion. You welcome them, you accept them. So today, to grow that capacity, which will also help us to be able to love, practice the art of radical acceptance. Accept one another then, the New Testament says, just as Christ accepted you. So I remember in the morning, as I lift up my heart and joyfully embrace God's acceptance of me that I'm accepted for all my flaws and inadequacies. And then I look at the people in my life. I have a little one-year-old friend, and one of the most striking aspects of her these days is she delights in the being of everything she encounters. This leaf that she grabs, this flower that she grabs, this stuffed donkey that she grabs, this person, this cement that she falls down on, everything, steps, plat, everything uh, overwhelms her with delight that it is. To accept another person is to be glad that they exist and to be glad that they are them. I pretty regularly will talk these days with parents, especially a lot of people who are parents uh, and people of faith that have children who are LGBTQ. And uh, sometimes they even think if they're going to honor their faith, they have to reject their child and to say, no, no, no. For any human being to offer them the gift of acceptance and to say, I'm glad that you are you and that I would really like to know you better. It's a, it's a gift, it's a sacred thing to me if you want me to know you. That's the gift of acceptance. So today, as we're on the journey of forgiveness, people give you dings, practice forgiving. Where you have a person who's difficult in your life today, practice by accepting each person. Everybody that you see today, every email that you write today, every phone conversation, here's the thought. I'm so glad that you are you. I'm so glad that you are you. It's a gift to be able to encounter you. I want to know you. Forgive us our debts as we forgive. Thanks for joining us. At Become New, we want to grow spiritually one day at a time, but it's tough to do that alone. So we're offering a little more support for anyone who would like to work on putting the content into practice. You can sign up to receive a text at the end of each week in this series, asking if you completed the here's how portion for that week. If you want, you can reply to the text and let us know how it went, or if you need prayer in taking those action steps. 
To sign up for the end of week reminder, just text the word MORE to 855-888-0444 and we'll put you on the list. As always, to receive the emails or video links by text, you can let us know at becomenew.com slash subscribe. If you're already signed up for the emails but aren't getting them, try checking your spam folder or better yet, you can add us to your contact list. Our email address is connect at becomenew.com. If you need prayer, we're here for you. Text your specific prayer request to 855-888-0444. There's a team of us who meet each weekday to pray specifically over every person who sends a text in. We'll catch you next time.